0: Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash call it and discover the versatility of Viore clothing.
1: Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half.
0: Welcome to Call It What You Want, Tyrion Reese's new favorite soccer podcast, even though he calls it football. I'm Jimmy Conrad, alongside Charlie, Chuck Wagon, Davies, and Jesse Marshmallow Marsh. And we have been waiting patiently to get to this episode because it is our year-end award show. We'll be handing out a lot of Call It What You Wanties, or Wanties for short. Also, we're going to be talking about how Americans played abroad during the festivities of the Happy Holidays. The U.S. Men's National Team Center Back Depth Chart, of course. And which players in our player pool who we think need to make a transfer. But first, because we know, boys, that this sport is known by many names around the world. Football, caucho, soccer, fuchi ball. As we do to start off every show, we're going to play a little game. And what I like to call, call what you want, word of the day. So Jesse and Charlie, put your thinking caps on. And here is the question or the word. Which language slash country calls the beautiful game? Noshna? Jesse, you go first. <laughs>
1: Pukenoshka. It's Pukenoshka. I, I, I guess Pukenoshka. first, last... We, we kind of guessed together, Charlie. We both guessed Botswana yeah. at first. Say it again, Jimmy, please. Noshna I, mean, I have an idea. It, it's not Botswana. That's go ahead, Charlie. You one. go first. You go first.
2: All right. It sounds, again, like Finnish, but I'm going to go Polish.
1: Interesting. Interesting. Jesse, how about you? I'm going to go... To the other part, uh, I'm going
0: to go more toward, like, Australia. So I think Australia calls it soccer, but it's... it's. <laughs> I think... Uh, I, they're called the Socceroos, so I don't know. But, okay. but, uh, Noshna is... It's Polish. Charlie, excellent, excellent work there. Unbelievable. Charlie. I didn't even have to get wow. to that. The first clue was, we lost to this country during the 2002 World Cup group stage. and And... Can you guys name the, the US men's national team goal scorer in that game? We lost 3-1.
2: Yes, Clint Mathis.
0: No, he's going to South Korea. Oh, God. Landon. I'm go with Dempsey. I'm going. Oh, it's Landon. All right. And Landon. Dempsey wasn't on the team. He wasn't in 2002. But second clue. Tra- Charlie's been studying, by the way. He's he has. clearly been studying.
2: No, I just have you a sound. You know, I have a you know, I have an ear for that type of sound. The phonetics.
0: The phonetics, yeah. you know. <laughs> the second clue is during my playing days, I spent a season on loan in this country. Uh, bonus point if you can name the club. Do you know a club I played for in Poland? Uh, well, Legia Gdansk. Close.
2: <laughs> Legia Warsaw.
0: No, no, never Legia Warsaw. That's the rival of the team I played for. Lech Poznan. Uh,
1: Lech Poznan. God.
0: For select. Yes. Nah. Nah. All right. All right. So congratulations to Charlie on that. Absolutely smashed it. And we're going to have to make it a little bit harder next week. Now, Jesse, this is for you because... After our last show last week, we had to have an emergency podcast because U.S. Soccer put out an announcement against MLS ultimately saying we're not going to allow MLS teams to play their third division teams, MLS Next Pro teams, in the Open Cup. They have to play their first teams. There has since not been any announcement, but me and Charlie had our comments. We went on morning footy and did our thing. And, and okay. it was nice to see U.S. Soccer have a little backbone. You know what hey, I mean? I, th-
2: I think we contributed to the the
0: fight. You know, I hope so. I hope so. Because we were <laughs> – Pissed and outraged. And I'm still pissed and outraged, but I'm happy that U.S. Soccer really stood up for themselves and said this is not going to happen. But Jesse, we didn't hear from you. So we want to know your thoughts on, on U.S. Soccer and their statement. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah.
1: I, I didn't see uh your your piece or your comments. It's okay. For me, it reeks a little of Super League, you know, mm. where where the powers at be are trying to think of ways to maximize financial benefit for some of the haves and not always thinking about the have nots, um, in both scenarios. Okay. In both the super league scenario and in this scenario with MLS and U S soccer, it's one of these where it's like, read the room, you know, it's obvious that, that this tournament is important to the the fabric of what the sport is in the United States of America. And, and the fact that MLS, uh, thinks that they can circumvent and, and and now come up with an idea that that eliminates the possibilities of it being treated with the value that it has, I think is absolutely ridiculous. Good that U.S. soccer, you know, we, we, we all know that U.S. soccer doesn't always have things in order the way it should be. But in this case, I think, um, fi- you know, standing up for themselves, uh, creating value in the tournament, making sure that the league has to respect Uh, what the tournament is and what the Federation is, is, is obvious and, and important, but you have to ask yourself, how long has this been going on behind the scenes and what kind of power struggle has been happening behind the scenes and what led the MLS to ultimately come out and not respect what the dialogue was, uh, and, and then create this sort of power struggle. So it's a shame for me that it has to go so public and then, it, and then people like us have to even make it a discussion point. But I think it's, it's relatively obvious. It's relatively obvious that, that the, the, the top league in our country has to participate in the Federation's cup tournament. So, um, yeah, we'll see where it goes from here. It, it has potential to, to be ugly. Um, but hopefully, I, 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 what I hope is that they're able to to find a compromise and, and understand that the, the tournament still is very important.
0: Yeah, very well said. I think what's interesting is the fact that right after U.S. Soccer put out their announcement, MLS released their schedule for the season. And within that, they had room within that schedule for U.S. Open Cup games. So it's almost like MLS wanted to test the waters be like let's see let's see how u.s soccer uh let's see this a little bit but then we're already prepared for the fact that u.s soccer was probably going to say no and and that was evidenced by this season schedule coming out chuck now that you've been able to sit with it a little bit obviously there's been no response we're in the Mm -hmm. middle of the holidays so that makes a lot of sense how do you think mls is going to respond to this once the new year breaks and they've had some time to talk about it with their lawyers and, and the powers that be also we should we should throw out there that that and I saw you know, a friend of ours, Kurt Gomez say that, and I agree that this Don Garber is going to get a lot of the backlash, but what, what, what we, he's really the mouthpiece of the owners. Yes. So they had a board of directors meeting and it's basically if, uh, some owners that have convinced everybody else to, to say, this is the way that we should go moving forward. And, and so I know that a lot of vitriol is directed at, at Don Garber. Some of it is warranted and some of it isn't. And this one, I think he's just the mouthpiece, but I wonder how he actually feels. We talked about that a little bit before uh, personally, but what are your thoughts, and what do you think MLS is going to do now with this news from US Soccer?
2: Well, one, let's not uh, forget the fact that Don Garber is probably one of the, the shrewdest businessmen going. I mean, look how how he's helped grow this league to where what it is today. So, um, I, I'm sure he he had some ideas on on how to you know benefit both sides. But in the end, yeah, he, he has to serve the owners, and at this point. I think like Jesse touched on perfectly, it it has that vibe of the super league type of, of feel the way that they're trying to maximize the profits. That's what it comes down to. It's a business. Um, But I think with this time, there's, there's going to be some bargaining back and forth. Okay. What, what can we do to make us open Cup a little bit better? What, how will it appeal to some of these owners in MLS that don't want to be a part of this? Um, So I do think there will be some some positives on both sides in terms of making the U.S. Open Cup a little bit more compelling. Maybe it's the prize money. Maybe it's the the traveling aspect or home away, whatever they decide. But uh, I do see this being a better tournament, a better version next year because I think USL, are, it's, that level is continuing to rise. They're, they're bringing in better coaches. The, there's better situations within these, these USL clubs. So I think that level is rising. I think the U.S. Open Cup will inevitably be better next year. So, uh, with all the the hoopla, I think we're in a we're in a pretty good spot considering where people thought we were heading uh, prior to or just after that announcement.
0: No, I agree with you. I think what's interesting is the emotional component. There's now emotion added to this, and maybe a way that there hasn't been. And I think it's going to bring a lot of positive shine to the tournament overall. Yep. I do think that there's something though, Jesse, about bringing more eyeballs to it. From what I understand, MLS was actually in charge of marketing the U S open cup for many, many years. And I don't know if that was really self-serving, uh, at least, well, maybe from them, their perspective, it was because they just kept pushing it down and not giving it the shine that it deserved. But that would take a lot of budget. And especially when they weren't bringing like the Leagues cup, they control the whole thing. So yeah, of course yeah. put marketing dollars into it. Cause we'll get those marketing dollars back one for one, or in theory you will, whereas the open cup, a lot of the money goes to elsewhere to us soccer in particular, And what money they put in doesn't necessarily come back to them. Even though we could argue there's a lot of intangibles where it does come back to them because it raises the the profile of MLS. It raises the visibility of MLS. So I wonder in terms of marketing what U.S. soccer and or MLS does to bring more attention to this. Because it's a special tournament. Something you've won four times, Jesse. Yes. No, I mean, you are. for me, you are right. This is why I say we all know that U.S. soccer
1: isn't always – the most professional and well-structured organization. So they don't always have the resources and they don't always have the expertise to get out of the tournament, what the potential is. I think Charlie's right. Just having more attention in the moment on what the tournament is has potential to have a real positive impact on crowds, on people coming out to support the tournament, to support the David versus Goliath matchups One of the other things I found in my later days in in MLS was they split it up and made the first rounds very regional. So you were almost always guaranteed as the New York Red Bulls to draw either Philly, New York or D.C., Mm -hmm. which for me became boring. Right. Like one of the things that you still want to see are these matchups where you play some different teams where you don't always wind up matching up against what was for us our biggest rivals in the first round. Um, so obviously there are some structural issues. There are some scheduling issues, but come on, man. Like we have some smart people in the room. And the last thing I'll say is you are right. It's the competition committee. Typically the competition committee are the ones that uh, that are, that are deciding what to do with these different tournaments, how to work around the scheduling, what how to continue to evolve MLS so that they're getting the most out of it from a competitive standpoint. And that's not all owners. There's, there's a group of owners that are in that. And Garber oversees all these small little factions of, mm-hmm. of different committees that are made within the ownership groups. So you're right. Again, Garber has done a good job. Like, I I don't like being overly critical of the job he's done or of the growth of MLS. But like we've said from the beginning, this one they got wrong.
0: Yeah, it's hard to argue with you otherwise. Very curious to see what's going to happen in the response from MLS probably in a couple weeks' time. So, obviously, we'll be talking about that. We're going to leave that alone for now. We're going to take our first break of Call It What You Want. When we come back, we're going to talk about the festivities fixtures for our national team player pool and the americans involved in them as i just said right after this so don't go anywhere welcome back to call it what you want i'm jimmy conrad alongside charlie davies and jesse marsh our resident coach now boys we had some big results this past couple days uh boxing day mainly in england and some other leagues but uh for Whatever reason they continue to play, don't want to get nah, who, who wants rest. Nobody wants any rest anyway. Here's some of the notable results Newcastle lost at home to Nottingham Forest. Matt Turner starts between the sticks for Forest as he uh continues to start for Nuno Espirito Santo, who took over for Steve Cooper. Wait, as manager bef- recently,
2: before, before you can yeah, go further, go, go, have, go. Have, have we noticed how Nuno has changed the way Nottingham Forest has, has played since he's come in in, in terms of just it, it seems a little reckless because, you know, in the beginning when you're starting new, it's like we're playing out of the back at all costs. I do not want to see it lumped up no matter what. It's, and I'm watching, and sometimes Matt Turner is like moving out of the out of the box for a pass where the center back has the ball and he's under pressure. I'm thinking, if this center back loses the ball and he's not gifted in possession, it's a goal. It's finito. But, um, hey, credit to a, a manager who comes in and says, this is how we're playing and it working, right?
0: That reminds yeah. me of Jesse Marsh at Leeds. I don't know. Like when you first took over, tried to come yeah. in and did you try to do anything different when you took over?
1: Yeah. I mean, well, I, I mean, this was always the the tricky part for me. Like when you take over, this was my first time taking over in the middle of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and and what you don't want to do is throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? So you have to find a way to transition things carefully to give the team the best benefit of having immediate success. And obviously, that also, it's not just the part about getting the results, it also builds confidence within the group to trust that the things that you're trying to instruct them are going to be helpful for them to, to be successful. So, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was, it's a, I, I called it a little bit like, you know, I, I've never obviously. Ha- uh, been a doctor and like given surgery to somebody, but it is a little bit like being so surgical with everything you do in training, everything you say, everything you present. So yeah, I mean, it was a big challenge, a fun challenge, but, but certainly uh,
0: Nuno's had a uh, positive results here from the, from the beginning. All I took away from that is that, it would have been super cool if Jesse's like, actually, I was a doctor back in the day and I did perform some <laughs> surgeries, uh, but but I just pivoted to play soccer and coach it instead.
2: Or <laughs> or if he had or if he had Chris Wood up top,
0: well yeah. that that would have <laughs> helped. Uh, least, uh, yeah, maybe would have scored a, a few more bit. goals. Yeah,
1: yeah. might not be On doing the this podcast with Jesse Marsh. Yeah. <laughs> Chris Woods yes. isn't it isn't necessarily my my favorite guy, but but he has experience and certainly had a good day.
0: Well, well, speaking going back to Matt Turner that was the he comes the fourth american this season to win at st james's park and statistically that was turner's Ooh. best club match of the season so long may that continue another big notable results we had mark mckenzie and gank with a big 3-0 win over royal antwerp that was a battle for fourth i believe in belgium and right now gank is one or two points above antwerp so that was a big win there celtic 3-0 win over dundee cameron carter vickers though goes out with a hamstring Yammy. injury and yeah. now they have the Old Firm Derby this weekend against Rangers. Brendan Rodgers a being big one. pretty, pretty coy about uh, how severe his hamstring injury is. He said he felt a little tightness. Now, the last time these two played against each other in the Old Firm Derby, Cameron Carter-Vickers wasn't available and Celtics still won 1-0. So we'll see. Sour Natana, last place in Italy, 2-2 against AC Milan. Christian Pulisic got the start. Eunice Musa did not. Pulisic did. End up coming out, and uh, he wasn't on the field when they ended up coming back to make it two-two. And then Frozenone ends up losing two to one at home to Juve, with Weston McKinney getting the start once again and getting the game-winning yeah. assist to Dusan Vlahovic. Timo Wea actually had the assist before the assist when Wea played it to McKinney. McKinney whipped it in for Vlahovic, who had a stupendous mm-hmm. header. Now let's talk about though. These are the notable results. Obviously, we had other Americans playing in other games. Charlie, I'll come to you first. Uh, any 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 names that stand out for you that that really stood out above everybody else this weekend or this week? Yeah,
2: yeah. In terms of of our Americans abroad, I'm I'm gonna go with Mark McKenzie, who we've seen has a, a really high ceiling in terms of potential. Uh, but it feels like every time he comes in with the U.S. men's national team, he gets nervous. And and I've been there before. You you get you know. You're kind of unsure of certain movements, unsure of what the coach wants from you. You're trying to impress all the time, impress your teammates. You kind of get caught in in the limelight a little bit. And so,
0: do you think I do think, you think that he's trying to be too perfect? Like he comes in and it's like I yeah, have to be perfect, otherwise I'm not going to make the team.
2: A, a little bit. It, it's it's a little bit of trying to play the, the most accurate long diagonal balls. So it's trying to play the the perfect passes into the feet of the checking midfielders, and and trying to time and and organize in the back end. Sometimes it's just too much. Less is more. And mm. for Mark McKenzie, he's he's going to be 25 in February, uh, but he started last the last six of the uh, six of the last eight, and he's played 90 minutes. Uh, they just beat Royal Antwerp, who who played in Champions League, three nil. Um, you could see him. There's a big viral video of him dancing with the crowd, getting them pumped up. And I think what we need from Mark McKenzie is just consistency. Because si- simply put sometimes he's capable of that one massive error and then he tends to put his head down. But um, I I think as time goes on, you mature, you get a little bit better, you you get a little bit smarter. And so uh, hopefully we need more center backs in this player pool. We need more that are capable of, of starting in a big match. And so um, these last, this last season, I think it feels like Mark McKenzie's turning a corner and that would be huge for the depth in, in the center back position for the U S men's national team.
0: Well, we're gonna have a bigger conversation about who we believe should be starting in the Copa America next summer. We'll see if Mark McKenzie is in the conversation for one. Chuck Wagon Davies, okay, Jesse, coming to you, Americans abroad. Who really stood out for you this past week?
1: Well, I, I want to. I, I thought about talking about Chris Richards last week as well. Uh, I think it's really interesting what how Crystal Palace is using him right now. And I, I want to start by saying I'm a Chris Richards fan. Like I watched him at Bayern. I watched him at Bayern too. In Salzburg, we were close. So we, we played against him in Champions League one match. And I think he has a, a real good set of tools to work from. And he's really fast. And you don't always see it from him, but he is, he is very, very fast. Um, but Palace is using him out of position they're they're using him as the defensive midfielder. In a couple of the first games that he started playing, they they played him with two defensive midfielders, but now they switched to a 4-3-3 and they're playing him a little bit alone in there. So, what do you get from Chris Richards when he plays in there? Well, you get responsibility. Defensively, he'll do exactly what he needs to do. He'll try to shift and be tactically in the right position. With the ball, he'll play simple and just make the next play and he just tries to make the game simple for him and and his teammates and just be a connector. However, I really don't think it's the best use of his skills. Obviously, now he started six games in a row in the Premier League. This is the best thing to say is, is the more games that Chris Richards gets, the better it is for his development, the better it is for his overall game, and, and that can also benefit the national team. However, what you see from him is he's not so mobile and quick on the turn. In tight spaces, it's not so easy for him to now deal with crafty, uh, speedy, uh, quick little little midfielders. So they, they shift away from him when he's the only six in there. If he moves out of that space, there's a big gap in the midfield. And that's what Chelsea found a lot in this matches. They would put little combinations together. They'd find a way to spin around Chris Richards or put a, together a little combination and he would be out of the play and they were going at the back line of crystal palace. So again, it's good that he's playing games. I don't think it's the best use of his talent that being said, he made a tackle for the goal that they scored right at the end of the half. He makes mm-hmm. a really good tackle in the midfield. They play a, a a chip to the back post to Elise, and he winds up having a good finish. And they go in one one at half, and it looks perfect. But in in the end, I just feel like, especially at the highest level in the Premier League, when you're playing against the best midfielders in the world, it's just too much of an ask for him to be able to cover the ground, deal with crafty little midfielders, be able to connect, be able to Run and defend and help do things in the in the defensive box and also be a connector that can find the game moving forward. So, the other part is I think in his six starts they have two draws.
0: So draws. They actually they actually haven't Redraws. won any games since he started the six. Yeah. So so. so I I don't, it, it, in fairness, in though Jesse, it was against West Ham. They played a uh, a red hot Bournemouth, uh, City, Liverpool, Brighton, and Chelsea. So it's not not the yeah, easiest. Not, Games.
2: not not too shabby i mean and, and I, I agree with jesse it's clearly not his position but in terms of flexibility because you can drop and then your two your your two other center backs can play a little bit more like a three back man a three man uh back line and then they i think he feels pretty comfortable in that situation i do like the sense that he is a center back. So if he's playing in the midfield, he's going to be developing more skills. So I think his room for growth, it'll help him maybe to the detriment of crystal palace. Cause that's not the, the, you're going to get the best out of the midfield with, with him as your six. But I think as a developmental tool for Chris Richards, you got to be quicker. You got to be more uh, in tune with transition, good touches, first touch passing. So, when you drop into a center back role with the U S men's national team, you're just that much more comfortable. It's easier. You read the game. So I think from that standpoint, I'm happy with it. If Roy, you you just want your players to play in a, in a lot of cases. And if Roy Hodgson says, Hey, we want you playing in the six, go ahead, play in there. Go ahead. And and then hopefully he catches up and he develops and he just continues to, to mature and and fulfill his potential. So uh, I'm with you, Jesse.
1: He played, he played left back against us in champions league and it was okay. You know, I mean, they, they won the match for one. It was Bayern Munich and Salzburg. Okay. At, at, at Munich, but, but, you know, I mean, he has flexibility and he is intelligent and he has good feet and he is athletic. So that's why I even think coaches say, well, let's try him here because right. he has all the tools. Let's see if we can mold him into this position a little bit or, or use him here. And I, and, and a lot of times you, some, some managers will say, all right, What's our best 11 on any given day? And how do we get them on the pitch? So it's a good sign that that he's forcing himself into the lineup and forcing himself into matches. I just think it's it's tough for him to really represent exactly who he is when he's playing in a position like that.
0: No, I, you can see that with some of his decision-making, Jesse, where maybe he steps too hard to the ball or he's too dropped off because he, maybe he's approaching that number six spot as a center back, which just takes time. You need to get those repetitions. And to your point right off the top, When you're playing in that first game against West Ham, which I think was his highest rated performance that he's ever had in the Premier League, he had a second six next to him. Or at least they played a little bit more of a double holding midfield. Like you said, the next five games, he's by himself. They probably thought, oh, he can cover the ground. He can do it. But then he gets exposed, not necessarily him individually, but just the team overall, because he can't cover. All those gaps, especially if you're going to put on a Lerma or an Etze who who probably look to go a little bit forward than than he does, of course. So interesting. I, I just, what I find interesting about the whole thing is that we have a glaring hole in the sixth spot behind Tyler Adams, who I don't yeah. know when he's going to get healthy. And so this could be an interesting uh, play to bring Richards into that spot. To your point, Chuck, depending on the opponent, where he could drop in between the two center backs and then we go to that back three and we can push right. Anthony Robinson up high. We can push Sergio Dest up high. and We kind of get that. That wing play or that wing back play that we've been kind of clamoring for in a 3-4-2-1 well, or a 3-5-2, whatever you want to call it.
2: Well, since you brought him up, I feel like, Jesse, you you could give the best insight on Tyler Adams because it seems like he he grew within your team at Leeds. It, it took a little bit to understand, you know, you get excited, you know, he could chase down everything, but sometimes leaves a team at risk in terms of how, how the structure is, the shape. But he grew into that role and really matured and, and owned it. So where do you see his ceiling now that you've seen him play against the very best in the Premier League? You you've seen the other midfielders, Weston, you've seen obviously Yunus Musa and, and Tyler, Gio Reyna, that group of players, is he's you know situated at the six? What what club do you see him, you know, at, at his very best and he fulfills his potential? Are we talking Real Madrid? Are we talking, you know, Barcelona? Are we talking some of these bigger clubs? And is he capable of continuing to grow? Are you Do you see more room for growth in certain areas from him?
1: I think in general, we know that Ty has athleticism, intelligence, and mentality. Like those things he's gifted with beyond belief. And that's really his foundation and backbone for what he can do within the game. The thing I was always trying to challenge him to do is is to – take more risks with the ball, to be braver, to believe in himself more. He he sometimes doesn't want to make mistakes and wants to do everything he can to help out the team. So he'll do the simple things too often and, and, and often play too often backwards and sideways where I was always trying to challenge him. There's ways to do the simple things, but do it playing forward right. and seeing the passes that actually set up your attacking players to be the players that you want them to be. And a lot of that is because I know I played that position is understanding your team, understanding your teammates and how to play with them, how to support them in every way to be the best that they can be. So that means sometimes shifting defensively to help cover them if they're out of position or if, or if you know they're not great at dealing with things that are behind their back or dealing with one twos. And also then understanding when you have the ball, how to position yourself as the conduit from the buildup phase to the attacking phase and how to now play with the players ahead of you. Where do they like the ball? On what foot? In what position? What What's their best option for their next pass once you give it to them? Like this is a big part of being the six is delivering passes that have a message to say, OK, now do this. And so Tyler, for me, that is his next biggest obstacle. And if he can get that right, if he can get the the concept of how to, to really be a leader in a team and understand how to pull the strings for everyone around him in all phases of the game, then his potential can really become massive and he can play for the best clubs in the world. So yeah, we'll see. I think Bournemouth has at their best moments, and now that they're on a bit of a roll, can do a little bit of both, but obviously still for the, the reason that with went and got him is because I think they know he can provide a defensive foundation for what they do in the midfield.
0: Right. I, but, would, I, I would say, though, his first obstacle is getting healthy, Jesse. And the second obstacle yeah. is playing forward when he's under some pressure. <laughs> but, but listen, with me, when he's played for me,
1: whether it was with New York, with Leipzig or or with Leeds, he was healthy all the time. And a big part of understanding players is understanding what their training loads need to be for them to be at their maximum potent, uh, physical potential. And for too many play, too many coaches for me just treat all the players the same and give them all the same routines, and that isn't what's best for each individual. The ability to understand how to make each player the best physically that they can possibly be. Sometimes some players need more gym. Sometimes they need less gym. Sometimes they need more work on the pitch. Sometimes less. Understanding international travel, because a lot of coaches just, when players go away for international duty, they just forget about it. And they bring them back and they throw them right back into whatever process they've created. And don't think enough about, okay, what's the travel? How many minutes did they play? What's the dialogue with the national team? How do you share the data with the different physical teams so that you make sure that you understand exactly what you're getting out of the players? This, to me, in the modern day, still doesn't get used enough. I don't know
0: why. Hire this man, coaches or teams out there. We're going to hire Jesse Marsh for a team very, very soon. We're not going to put Jesse on the spot. Just yet, uh, as opposed to that. But uh, I guess I guess, Greg Berhalter has come out and stated publicly, privately, I don't know, that he doesn't really want to play Chris Richards as the D mid, which means that opens it up for Leonard Maloney, Luca De La Torre, Aiden Morris from the Columbus Crew, who's been playing very well there, and Johnny Cardoso, who is actually my notable American abroad. Not because he played, but because he signed with Real Betis, everyone. That is a big deal after... I don't know, over close to 150 appearances for Internacional in Brazil, where he broke into the first team in 2020, helped him get to the Copa Libertadores semifinals this past year. Getting a ton of experience in that spot in a difficult league. He is making the move to Spain, and that is what's up. I'm really excited also, and I want to get Jesse and Charlie's quick thoughts on this, is the fact that he's gonna play for Manuel Pellegrini, who I believe is a very good manager and seems to get the most out of his squads. He won the Copa del Rey with Betis a couple of seasons ago. He won obviously the Premier League with Man City not too long ago. Coach Real Madrid, he brought in Benzema at that time. He brought in Kaká, Cristiano Ronaldo. He coached Yaya Torre. I mean, I'm trying to think of all these players that he's coached in his illustrious managerial career and how much that he can impart in terms of wisdom, onto Johnny Cardoso. And I think this is a great signing. Johnny's only 22 years old, so he's got plenty of room for growth. And I think being under the tutelage of Pellegrini can only help develop that and hopefully make an impact for our U.S. men's national team. Uh, Jesse, I'm coming to you on Pellegrini. What are your thoughts on him and, and this move for Cardoso? I think it's great. I think and, and I think the Spanish league uh,
1: suits him really well. So I Mark Roca the player that was with me at Leeds is at Real Betis right now. So that'll be one of the players that he'll be competing with in that position. Mark is an incredible passer, but I think Cordozo has more mobility and can in some ways fit what Betis does because from Pellegrini does a really good job Of thinking about all phases of the game. So he's strong against the ball. He's not a player. He's not a coach that just sits in. He's active in against the ball. And then with the ball, they have a lot of good rotations. Um, They play brave with the ball like many teams in La Liga do so. I think this is a really good move. I think it'll be a challenge for them to to meet the standard immediately of how they play. But what you want is you want players going and making transfers that put them in a little bit over their head, but in a reachable environment where they can still continue to develop and grow and get better. And I think for Johnny Cardozo, this is is perfect. Perfect. Yeah. You like this, Chuck? Is this
0: a win for you?
2: Massive. I mean, you're playing in one of the best leagues in the world, Uh, a competitive team, a team that's Seventh in La Liga right now. Um, like you said, Pellegrini uh, has had a ton of experience coaching top players, and they have a talented group. I mean, think of him playing with Isco like that. Isco has is reinvented himself as well, um, coming from you know not playing for six months without a club. So you have Guido Rodriguez who's down with an injury, Carvalho who's who's a little bit has uh, got kind of like a little bit of a nagging hamstring, uh, Mark Roca like um, Jesse said, but. This is a a Guardado who's 37. This is a midfield he could break into. He's going to get opportunity. So um, in terms of putting yourself in a good position to climb up the ladder with the U.S. Men's National Team to fulfill your potential, uh, you, you couldn't ask for anything more.
0: All right, so we got some notable fixtures coming up this weekend. We talked about the Old Firm Derby. That is happening at 7.30 a.m. Eastern on Saturday. CBS Sports Network. Crystal Palace versus Brentford is also happening on Saturday. Uh, AC Milan trying to get back on track with a big win against Sosuolo at the San Siro. That'll happen on noon on Saturday on the Golasso Network. And then the big one, Juve, is hosting Roma. That's happening at 2.45 p.m. Eastern on Paramount+. And then Sunday, For all of us Americans, we'll be watching this one intently. Fulham is hosting Arsenal. That is 9 a.m. Eastern. All right, we're going to take our second break of Call It What You Want. When we come back, we're going to be talking about the transfer window, which players maybe should consider making a move. So don't go anywhere. Yes, and welcome back to Call It What You Want. I'm Jimmy alongside Charlie and Jesse. It's funny when we don't say our last names. And we are going to talk about the transfer window because it is almost upon us the big January transfer window where some signings could help you go on to win something and maybe some signings can help you potentially get relegated. But we're going to focus on the U.S. men's national team player pool and which players we think need to make a move. I do want to state for the record somewhat of a preface that some of the names that I might drop in particular are just players that I think have maybe hit a ceiling in their particular teams and might need to make a move elsewhere to continue to grow as players. Now, it doesn't mean they have to make that move. In January, it could be over the summer, but they probably should start considering it I'm just going to throw that preface out there but the big name and a name that was on all of our lists as somebody that absolutely has to make a move is Gio Reyna and Chuck I'm coming to you first why do you think Gio Reyna should move I think it's pretty obvious for all of us that are paying attention but but where should he go because I don't necessarily think we're all on the same page about what that next team should be for him
2: okay well one I think it's extremely evident that he needs to move based on playing time alone and availability when he is healthy, because we're talking 2020, 2021 in that season alone, he started 23 matches, 32 matches. He played 23 starts, 1900 minutes. Okay. Mm -hmm. That, that, and four goals, seven assists. That to me is like, we have a gem of a young player. This is when he was being, you know, nominated on all, on all these different awards. Uh, Golden Boy award, he was he was nominated. So, he goes from that to the following season, of course, dealing with injuries, but 10 appearances, 6 starts, 440 minutes. To 2022-2023, 22 matches, only starting 4. 7 goals, 2 assists. So, wow. that's a pretty good return giving you only started 4 games. 609 minutes. To 2023-2024 this season, he has only played in eight matches, 228 minutes combined. The last three matches he's played in, he's played 18 minutes, 32 minutes, and eight.
0: Chuck, that's a a really long tease here. You're teasing us here. Where do you think he should go? I'm I'm just like dying. Where is Chuck going to stay? Where is he going to go?
2: All right. So... We're not talking English Premier League. So, for the people that think you go from not playing at Dortmund to the English Premier League, it's just not happening. Um,
1: where could he go? So, I do want me. You want me to take it from here? I have some ideas. Yeah, you, yes, you go. Yes. You go. So I first what I what I think is first. I'm surprised that it's deteriorated at Dortmund because everything that I've always heard out of Dortmund is that they're all, they really like Gia. Um, they really like his talent. They like his personality that he trains well, that he puts a lot into it. Um,
0: so obviously you, don't you want to say that though, if you want to consider selling him, I'm not saying he's not that. No, no, but I'm not saying this is publicly. I'm
1: not saying I'm saying this is internally like people that I know that are there. They they've, they've always been incredibly positive on geo. That's great. He needs for me, for me, I think he needs two things. He needs a team that's he's going to play. That's going to play in European matches so that he gets opportunities to, to play in lots of moments. And it for me, a team that plays intensive because sometimes Gio, I think, has a tendency to get a little bit comfortable on the pitch and do the things that he likes, which is to play football and knock the ball around. And and for me, for his his potential to grow, he needs to be a guy that still covers ground, that plays dynamic, that's on the move. You know, that that's the best way for me, I think, to see him to continue to, to grow. The two places, one would be staying in the Bundesliga at Frankfurt. The coach there is Dino Topmuller. He was with Julian Nagelsmann. I think he's doing a really good job with the team there. They're playing in Europe, and I think they have a really good squad and and still room for him to play within that team in a way that fits who Gio is. The place I'd really like to see him go is Real Sociedad. So I think he'd be great in Spain. They have a great coach, right? Someone who's been in the academy and been back and forth, Al Al Guacil. And so... They they would, for me, fit. They they like to play with the ball. They play intensively against the ball. They're very clever in their tactics and how they move and play. They're very dynamic. And I think Gio would be a perfect fit there. And by the way, I think I, I think he could handle living in San Sebastian. I think that would be a little bit nicer than Dortmund. But But I think, honestly, I think between the way they play, the level of the league, playing in Champions League, the quality on the pitch of his teammates, I think this would be a perfect fit for him.
0: Well, I like the Sociedad shop because they have taken on Martin Odegaard before. They've taken on Takekubo now. Like, they like these playmaker types that are pulling the strings in midfield, and I think Gio could do that.
2: But well, where is he going to play?
0: Well, I mean, this is
1: part of it. They have have a lot of matches, right? They're competing for Champions League again. They're having a good season in the league. They're also in in Champions League in the knockout phase. So he's going to have opportunities to play in in a team like that. And yeah, of course, he has to establish himself. But they play with creative midfielders, right? They typically play with like two tens or two eights. And I think we think that's probably the best kind of position for where Gio can succeed. And again, they play dynamically. They play in, in some open matches and they they use a lot of subs on the bench. I think he he's going to find his playing time there and he's going to have his chance to establish himself in the team.
0: Okay, okay. Charlie, let's pretend that Jesse's not here. Let's just talk like players and Jesse can be the coach yeah. here on this. When I hear Jesse talking about what Gio needs to do for his growth, a lot of it feels like it's a choice. It's, it's Gio making the choice. I'm going to start to play more dynamic. I'm going to stop drifting in and out of games. I'm going to try to find the ball as much as possible. These are choices for me as a player. I'm sure you got some instruction from your coaches along the way saying, hey, Charlie, we know you're great at this, but we need you to do X, Y, and Z to actually go to where we think you can go. And then it's up to you to buy into those X, Y, and Zs. I think Gio's still very young. Do you think he's in that position now where, because he's not playing a lot, he, still, he now has to listen in a way and take maybe inside an instruction where he maybe didn't have to before? And then we can let Jesse chime in. <laughs>
2: yeah. I, I mean, the ball's in your court as a player, especially when you're at some of these clubs where you're an investment. So I, I remember my time in, in Hammerby where Tony Gustafson took me aside and said, hey, look, you may be frustrated because you're not starting. You're coming in as a sub, but I decide when you play and you need to do this, 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 and then you'll, you'll start to play. You'll start to get starts. And I remember being like, okay, all right. I, I got two options. It's do what he wants or not play or not, not start, not play as much as I want. So, you know, you have to, then I'd, I'd stay after practice. I'd work with the captain. I'd work with the, the goalkeeper coach in, in finishing and, you ultimately have to earn the trust by showing the, the commitment to the team, commitment to his tactics, what he wants. But then you, as you start to do those things, then you start to float away and stop thinking about what he wants. And then you start playing back to the way that you, you've you always played and just enjoying things. So there's a little bit of geo-finding what he enjoys the most when he's on the pitch, the way he gets all the touches the way he can kind of glide through the midfield versus maybe a coach saying I want more dynamic dy, uh more dynamic movements out of you I want to see you taking players one v one slipping passes being more north south instead of the east to west and connecting passes a lot of tiki taka so for me I think it's it's a little bit of geo saying all right I'll listen to the coach and he, you could tell he, he's stubborn. He, he, he wants to, he thinks he knows the answers. He wants to just go out there and play and Hey, let me do my thing. I'm good. I got this versus I got you coach. Keep your mouth shut, put your head down and just work. And then now another part of that, that sometimes you can't control. And that's the health, right? Get the, the injuries that have happened, whether it's inflicted from a, from a terrible tackle in the nation's mm-hmm. league or some of these muscular issues that that he's had to deal with. So I'm very confident he'll get past the the injuries. And now it's just about knowing how to walk the line of a manager that's demanding of you and trying to do what you feel is best for you in your game and what what you like to do and what what excites you when you're on the pitch. So uh he's a talented player, and, and I agree with Jesse. La Liga feels like a great fit for him. Maybe even Serie A. And if if I was going to pick a club in La Liga, I, I think the, the same issue uh, with Dortmund would be he wouldn't probably get as much playing time as as he'd like because, I mean, Real Sociedad have some real ballers in positions that he plays, a key position. So he, he might get those rotation minutes, but those guys aren't going anywhere unless they're going to Real Madrid or Barcelona.
0: Um, well, or well, then it feels like he's got to take a step back then to get those. Right. So like, in, well, in, in let, my, let, in, let me put air quotes because whatever the step back is. Yeah,
2: it's not it's, not, it's not, it's It's really not a step back if you're going to a better league, but maybe a, a team that's not competing in in Cheddar. Where he could be the guy. Place. I think he's got to be the right.
0: guy and learn the responsibilities of the guy. So Jesse, Via, Jesse.
2: Villarreal, Valencia, Villarreal, and, and Sevilla are the three. I know Sevilla are a little bit turmoil with the coaching, but those three clubs, I think. His profile.
0: Some good names. Some good names there. I would be thrilled Mm -hmm. if he had that opportunity and just had a little something different. I think maybe he's fallen into a bit of a rut, and sometimes you need that. As you mentioned with Christian Pulisic. Now, Jesse, I know you want to touch upon the geo thing, but I want to twist this a little bit and talk quickly about Brendan Aaronson because he seems like a player that definitely needs to make a move or find a better situation.
2: One thousand percent.
0: But he, and you've coached him at Leeds, so you know he seems like a guy that that will do everything that you're asking him to do. Maybe, maybe to a fault, and then it's still not working for him in some ways, and he can't find that consistency, especially at Union Berlin. What are your thoughts on Brendan, and what's, what would be next for him?
1: Yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a pleasure to coach, a pleasure, and he will put everything that you want him to do to practice. He puts a lot of pressure on himself. Puts a lot of pressure on himself to not let anybody down, to meet expectations. And for me, that's one of his benefits and detriments, Mm -hmm. right? Strengths and weaknesses. And that's often the case with us as people and players. But I would often say to him, like, don't worry about letting me down or your teammates down. You have to have a little bit more of a son of a bitch mentality that says, give me the ball. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of this. I got this. I'm going to run with it. And I think with everything that went on with Leeds, that the pressure started to mount with him a little bit. And then he internalizes it and he starts to become a little bit too nervous on the pitch instead of being his fearless, free self where he just goes out and plays. And so I do think he's going to have to find a situation where there's structure in the team that he plays with, but also a little bit more freedom for him to just go out and play. And he may have to drop down a little bit of a level to get his confidence back, get himself on the pitch a little bit more and find his rhythm again. So he can, can kind of pick up where he left off. So I'm not sure, you know, they're, they're talking about that. Maybe union union wants to send him back. And then Leeds has talked a little bit about, yeah, they'd be open to, to bring him back. I'm not sure how excited he would be about that opportunity. I know that we had a really good time when we were in Leeds together. I'm just not sure where everything stands right now. And there may be an opportunity for him to have another loan somewhere. And and again, what's important for him is that he has to play right now. He has to find a way to get himself on the pitch and get playing again.
0: Well, thankfully, the transfer window is a month long, and we're not even into January yet. So we'll have plenty of time to get into other players. But some of note that we had down in our WhatsApp Group. We had Cameron Carter Vickers that probably might need to make a move from Celtic at some point. Maybe Big Ange will bring him from Celtic over to Spurs because they clearly don't trust some of their other center backs. Hey, that,
2: that's that's for you would say he he's he's maximized his
0: yeah, he's influence.
2: Hitting, he's hit in, his ceiling in the, in Celtic, right he yeah. needs
0: to continue to grow. Uh we also had shouts for Ethan Horvath, who definitely needs to get out of purgatory uh with Nottingham Forest. I threw out some players like Tanner Testament at Venezia who I think is really starting to come into his own. Maybe he still needs a little bit more time to, to be the guy, but kind of similar to what we're talking about with Brendan and Gio, he's getting that really valuable experience of playing regularly, being counted on regularly and still having to show up and prove his consistency. Uh, Taylor Booth, has he done enough at Utrecht? I know he's hurt uh, a little bit in and out of the team, but I, I like maybe seeing him. Mark McKenzie's another one, Brian Reynolds, Caleb Wiley going MLS, Jack McGlynn, is it time for them to make a move and test themselves somewhere else? So those are some of the names that we were thinking about and talking about. And we'll discuss later on at some point, All I'm right, going to take our next break Of call it what you want. When we come back, we're going to talk about center backs, the U S men's national team and who we want to see starting in the Copa America in 2024. So don't go anywhere. oh baby we're getting closer to the end of the show call it what you want i'm jimmy conrad alongside charlie davis and jesse marsh and we are doing a little us men's national team center back depth chart spotlight let's call it for the 2024 copa america who do you two want to see starting against uh i don't even remember who we're put. just in the copa america <laughs> i should know this and i don't all i know is we got uruguay well, that's the last group stage game. Oh, is it? Yeah, okay. yeah, which is which is for the best. It's best to okay. play them. Hopefully our group has been decided. And that's going to see who okay. finishes on top. But, but who do we want to see in that one? And Jesse, I'll come to you first. Who, who's the yeah. center back partnership that really uh, excites you in terms of either the future or maybe you want to see some consistency with some names that are already in place? So – I think that this tournament has to be used as preparation for the World Cup.
1: And as as much as we all like Tim Ream and know that he's been in a massively important player in the last years, I think it's we have to be moving on. Is he on the on the roster for the tournament? Yeah, possibly. But if we're going to continue to play him and think that that's the guy that's going to continue to lead us moving forward, then we're going to set ourselves up for failure. So, Tim, sorry, and I love you, brother, but I think it's time to move on. But I, I still think we need to have some level of experience and and now know how of what these games are about and somebody who's playing at a high level. And if you if you now talk about the left center back for me, that's John Brooks. Wow. And I and I know that I know that him and Berhalter aren't aren't on the best terms and that John Brooks hasn't always performed at the highest level with the national team. But if you watch him now play for Hoffenheim and and, you know, we you know, it's funny. We haven't yet spoken about Reno Pellegrino uh, on on this podcast yet. And what a good coach he is. He's doing an amazing job at Hoffenheim. So he plays for a good coach. He's playing at a high level in the Bundesliga. Hoffenheim's having a very good season. John Brooks has played almost every single match and played very well. I think that it's time to bring him back in the mix and now make him a big centerpiece for what we're doing defensively within the team. And I think that the next level of high potential player that we have in that position is Miles Robinson we'll see what happens with him exactly where he goes and where he winds up playing. But for me, my, we have to not, and, and keeping miles healthy is, is really important. But when you talk about a pairing that is experience and youth and physically uh, strong, good with the ball, good against the ball, these are the two guys that I envision as the future of what can be the potential of this team, the foundation defensively of what we can become. So, and and you have to start to invest now. That's the only way. So I, I don't know. I don't know where John Brooks is with playing for the national team. I don't know um, exactly how to uh, make all of it fit uh, moving forward. But for me, these two have the highest upside.
0: Yeah, this is really interesting because I feel like – I don't know exactly what happened, Charlie, between John Brooks and Greg Berhalter, but something significant happened. Uh, from what I gathered, there was a little bit of a John Brooks talking down to Greg uh, – Potentially in front of the group, which uh, never goes over well, but you'd like to think that Gray can get out of his way if it's what's best for John Brooks and for him and for the team overall. I guess we'll have to wait and see on that. But Charlie, uh, well, one thing I learned is that Jesse doesn't like Tim Ream. I, I don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love Tim Ream.
0: Just kidding, I love you know, hard team. He, he is at some point. He's going to be too old for the national team, but uh But And maybe this is his time. Now I'm just giving you a hard time. All right. So, Charlie, who do you got? Your center back partnership. Who are you going with for this first game against Bolivia on June 23rd? I looked that up, everybody.
1: (laughs) Okay. Bolivia.
2: Chuck? I'm still in shock. I did not expect to hear Miles Robinson and uh, John Brooks as the partnership. Um, Wow. Just because – yeah, John Bro- Brooks has been in purgatory for a long time, uh, almost like just excommunicated. Um, but in terms of the partnership that I'd like to see, I think it's Chris Richards, uh, the youth, like you, like Jesse said, 23 years old, underrated pace. Um, and so you can play him with a center back who's maybe not as quick or known for being as quick. And uh, I think if you're looking at all the center backs who are playing now and – you know, for the most part, very consistent. I'd say Cameron Carter-Vickers and Chris Richards. I do like Miles Robinson, Boston Boston kid, uh, great head on his shoulders. I, I think he reads the game well and really played extremely well with Chris Richards when they partnered together in the Nations League. So, if if Miles Robinson, who is a free agent, plays in Europe, then then I can easily see Miles Robinson and Chris Richards um, playing together. But I, I think Miles needs to continue to push and he's gotten to a very comfortable level right now playing in major league soccer i would like to see him take that next step and challenge himself um and go overseas and of course it matters where you go you got to go in the right situation you don't just go overseas to go overseas it's got to be the right club the right scenario but i could see him taking another massive step forward if he if he does make that move so uh At the moment, it'd be Chris Richards, who's 23, and and Cameron Carter-Vickers, who's 25, actually turning 26 in a couple of days. Um, But yes, I I could see Chris Richards and Matt Robinson. Tim Ream, great shout, but I think with Jesse, you do have to prepare for the future. And it's not that Tim Ream doesn't have the quality to be there, but I think you know, father time comes for everybody. Um, He's he's I think he's contributed a hell of a lot to the U.S. Miss National team, especially in that last world cup coming back from the abyss and, and really being a staple in the back line. And he's done really well with, with Fulham. I, I stand up. I have so much respect for Tim Ream, but um, it's time to prepare for the future. And I think he's, he's left his mark and now it's, it's time for the, for the next group of, of players.
1: Yeah, no, I have like you guys. Dark- have yeah. you guys watched
0: John Brooks play this year? I caught I, one game. I, I have, I have seen him me. play twice. He's been really good. He's been outstanding. Do they play in a back three though, or they play back four? They play
1: a lot in a back three, but they're very flexible. Like moderato kind of uses them in a lot of different ways to, to, to rotate. And yeah, he plays in the center of the three a lot, but he kind of slips into the left and they will sometimes build up on the left side. They, you know, I think again, John is, has had an incredible season, maybe his best. Um, They had a great start to the Bundesliga and, and, you know, I, I, that's the question is, I don't know either. I, these are only things that I've heard. So even when I say there's an issue between him and Burhalter, I, I don't really know what the issue is, but you have to find a way when you have the national team to make sure that you're, you're bringing in your best players as often as you can, because you, you can't make transfers. You can't just bring guys up from nowhere. So, you know, I, I think that, We'll see what happens with this, but John is playing well enough that he needs to be included in what we're doing with the national team.
0: What what I'll add, too, is that as a former right-footed center back for the national team that played in the left center back position, it helps the team flow and transition a lot easier when you have a left-footer in that spot. So you had Matt Beasler who did it for us in 14, and and now you have John Brooks, who obviously was part of that 14 team as well, and and Tim Ream, who's left-footed. I just think the game flows better. We we can we can hit that big switch a little bit more. Uh, if I had to do it from that position, I had to open up my whole body because I had to use my right foot to get it over to Steve Chirundolo, whatever it may be, and that's easier for a team to to read. Whereas you can be a little bit more deceptive in hitting that that big switch if you're a left footer in that spot. So I don't really care. I mean, I do think that Tim Ream still has a shout because if you want to be competitive in the Copa America, even though I agree with you that should be a testing ground for what we want to see in 26, Jesse, I feel like. You still want to have – and that's why Tim Ream ultimately went to the World Cup with, uh, for in Qatar because you still want a little bit of that experience and that know-how and a little bit of that calm and cool coolness under pressure, which team, Tim Ream has in spades. So I wouldn't be surprised if he was still on the team heading into this summer. But if John Brooks does get called back in, then that really satisfies that left center back position where you have someone that can play the ball under pressure from that spot who's a natural left footer. And so I think it's one or the other ultimately. And when Tim Ream emerged, it probably felt easier for Greg – to leave Brooks uh, frozen a- out of the team, but if Reem wasn't an option, I wonder if Brooks would have been at the last World Cup. Anyway, that said, I could still I could see a Reem CCV uh, Cameron Carter-Vickers partnership, assuming both are healthy, and then Chris Richards because Tyler Adams probably won't be healthy at that point. Even though I hope he is potentially playing in the six, and then we could drop into that three, and that could open up our wing backs. I-, I think there's something really fascinating about that. Not to say that Tyler Adams couldn't do the same if he was healthy, but I do like that in terms of that. Fluidity and flexibility that you're talking about uh, with uh, Madrazo, so uh, and at Hoffenheim. So I so, you don't,
2: I, so you don't want to see Chris Richards? at the uh, Well, well,
0: I mean, if ultimately if if Chris Richards wasn't going to be our option as a six, and it looks like Burhalter doesn't want to see that, I would like to see Richards and and CCV. Let's say Tim Ream is out, then CCV and Chris Richards, Miles Robinson. I think that's a great shout. I was pretty disappointed with how he performed the back half of the season in MLS. Maybe he needs and probably does need to challenge himself somewhere else. He has to go to Europe. He has to go to Europe. Yeah, he has he to has make to. that jump at this point. So yes. so so if he does and could obviously performs well, then then he gives a shout. There's something about Austin Trusty that I want to see a little bit more of. I know that he's got a high ceiling, and, and if he can find that consistency with Sheffield. Uh, Mark McKenzie, if he can maybe make a move from gank to somewhere else. Uh, and maybe that's more 26-ish than 24, but but we have some options, and, and now it's just a matter who can step up and be the most consistent one of those. But Richards and CCV are one, probably who I'll see or would like to see against uh, Bolivia on June 23rd. All right, we're going to move this along because I know we can talk about this forever. We're getting to our year-end awards. The Call it what you wanties. We're going to hand out some wanties to some of our favorite players and performances throughout this year. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Guess what? We made it to the end of the show, but it's going to be a very special end of the show because it's our end-of-the-year podcast or to call it what you want. It's our end-of-the-year awards. To call it what you wanties. And our first wanty is going to go to our best player in the U.S. Men's National Team player pool. And we Mm. all had the same answer. So, I don't know. Chuck, Jesse, who wants to step up and talk about this particular player?
2: I feel like I've talked a lot, so go ahead, Jesse.
0: Okay, Jesse, you got our first wanty. Yeah, it's Christian Pulisic. Christian Christian Pulisic. Pulisic! Yeah. Okay, okay. Why? Yeah. Christian.
1: All <laughs> well, it, it, it's it, listen, this is not a knock on Christian. I think he's had a, he's had a good transition <laughs> he, to Milan and you can't just say, it's I know be- I'm not knocking, but there haven't, there's not a ton of nominees, right? I mean, a lot of guys have changed teams. Some guys are injured. We're not getting the highest performance out of our players in Europe right now, but Pulisic plays almost every match. He's been assisting and scoring a lot. I, I I've said this a few times, I just want to see, I know he's such a good player and has so much potential. I just want to see him be a bigger part of every day and scoring more goals. And I know he has so much potential. Some of it is the way that they use him. But for me, he's clearly been our best player in Europe this year. And, and, and he's been healthy. He's played strong. He's played almost every match. His team has been fairly successful. Um, so yeah, uh, I think that was a pretty easy one for us all.
0: Yeah, it's pretty easy. Obviously, he's been dominant for the US as well. And what I like, Chuck, and I think we talked about this before, is the fact that he seems like the captain of the national team. Before, I thought Mm -hmm. we were forcing the armband on him. And now he seems to have really grown into that role. And and I think that's what I appreciate the most. He wants that responsibility. Put the team on his back. I'm going to make some plays.
2: Uh, 100%. I mean, go from Nations League to the semifinals and finals to uh, the friendly against Germany when he scored that absolute worldie. And... I was talking to Olivier Giroud the other day and he was saying how impressed he's been with, with Christian and, and Yunus Musa. How, how many minutes they've played. I think it was unexpected um, that he'd come in and do so well, mm-hmm. because think about he was not playing at Chelsea or not being utilized the way that we expected and, and thought he should, should have been given his world cup mm-hmm. um, with the U S and, Showing that hey he he's got that fight he's shown some real quality at Chelsea it wasn't consistent but in in his best moments he was you could say was on the verge of becoming world class right? right so for him to go a step up with Milan who were in the Champions League semifinals a year before um, and and impress the way that he has that's that's an A for me in terms of of how how much he's grown into that role and and has met the expect exceeded the expectations at such a massive club so uh he 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 has to take it i mean five goals and four assists and 14 starts um just just over a thousand minutes that's that's top from from a young american so um i'm i'm excited i mean he's 25 years old that's another thing he's only 25
0: that's crazy That's crazy. That's crazy. Now, now speaking on Christian's behalf, he couldn't be here to accept the award, but he wanted to personally thank all three of us. (laughs) This is his favorite podcast. Congrats, Christian. Congratulations (laughs) uh, on your first ever wanty. That is is amazing. All right, we're going to get to the best young player. This means 21 or younger in our player pool.
2: I thought it was technically you had to be called into a youth camp and have played in the youth In, in terms of U.S. soccer. That's. Okay. what the nominees were.
0: All right. So, so, so the rules are changing yeah. here live on the show. Yeah, I mean, show. you can define it however you want, Charlie. You <laughs> <laughs> define Jeez. it however you want. I thought I had it, but I guess we don't. I, I, I'm going to go I first. I, we got we got a couple a couple uh, wantsies to hand out here. I'm going to go with uh, Nympha Burchamas, who, yeah. fantastic. He was the youngest player to represent the U.S. at a U-17 World Cup in 20 years. And the dude just scored two goals in his first game of the tournament against Korea Republic. And every time he steps on the field, he makes a difference. He plays for Charlotte. He's a homegrown signing for them, the second ever in their history of a club. And I just think his future is incredibly bright. He is so good. His change of speed when he gets the ball in tight spaces, ridiculous. He's got great vision. He plays quick. He plays the right pass, or he usually makes the right soccer decision. Uh, more often than not. And at such a tender young age of 15, to be able to do that and have that type of maturity on the ball and off the ball, uh, has been really impressive to see. And, and, uh, long may that continue. And I hope he plays for the red, white, and blue for as long as possible. Cause he's a fantastic player. That's my pick. Congratulations on that. Uh, Charlie, I'll come to you. Who's your young player of the year?
2: Uh, my young player of the year is, is Kevin Paredes. Um, I, it, it, and obviously this is a massive drop off from 2022 where Yunus Musso was the young player of the year. Um, but Kevin Paredes, you know, he he was arguably the best player in the U20 World Cup team. Um, he, he's he's I think he's found minutes hard to come by at at uh, Wolfsburg, but I think he's impressed. I mean, he's played 13 matches this year, 343 minutes, one goal. Um, a, again, he's one of those players you can play left wing, right wing, left back, left left mid, right mid. Um, he's quick. He's got a lot of tools. Still very raw. So. Um, that this this category wasn't the deepest, but I think he has shown um, a lot of progress and, and still has a crazy ceiling.
0: OK, I like that shout. How about you, Jesse? Yunus Musa again.
1: It's an I, easy I, one. We, we don't even need to talk about it. He's he's been fantastic at Milan. Really all happy right.
0: For him. No, I'm happy for him as well. And, and he's another player that you can't believe how young he is based on how he plays yeah. the game. Cause he's so mature in his decision-making and his movement both on and off the ball. So yeah, big fan of Unis Musa uh, over here. All right, next one. Most improved player in the player pool. Jesse, I'm coming right back to you. Who's your selection for this? I think both of Charlie and I picked the same one, which is Ricardo Pepe.
1: Ooh. And, you know, I, I think he had a tough start at Augsburg, so it wasn't so easy for him. He played a little bit, but didn't really ever get himself going. And you know, he's kind of developed the super sub role now for PSV However, uh, obviously, when we we, uh, analyzed his match against Arsenal, he had a very good match. uh, And I think it is something that will give him a big boost and more confidence moving forward. And the combination of who he is, how young he is, and what his max potential is, and now seeing him move himself along that trajectory gets me really excited. So
0: that was the reason I chose him. Okay, anything to add to that? Pepe seems like the obvious choice, Chuck.
2: Yeah, I mean, he was at Groningen and he scored 12 goals uh, last uh, year when he took the loan from Augsburg and didn't, because that was a very difficult place to play. But to be in the position he's in, which is not an easy for a youngster, think about it. You go from a very difficult club, you move from being the star man with your club in, in FC Dallas, you go to Germany, Bundesliga, it doesn't work out. Then you're forced to go to the Dutch Air Divisie and you play in a, a team that gets relegated. Essentially, so you score goals, but it, it, you're playing all the time. So it's a little bit of, you know, bittersweet because you're scoring, you're playing all the time, but your team gets relegated. You move up, you get a move. PSV, massive club, but you're playing behind the captain, the star striker, Luke De Jong, the captain. You're you're not expected to play. You're not expected to get a lot of minutes. He's absolutely made the most of this situation. He's put his head down and he's worked. And you know what? He's scoring goals. He's play. He's playing in Champions League. He scores against Sevilla. And he's and he's assisted against Arsenal in his last two Champions League matches. He score. He scored uh, four goals in 190 minutes in, in the league. And you're not hearing him moan, complain. None of that. He just continues to just do what he can, make the most of the minutes he gets, and he's preparing himself for the future. Better preparing himself to take off and really shine. So. um for me, it's it's not even a question. It's Ricardo Pepe. What a a uh, breakout season he's had given the the limitations that, that have been placed on him playing at PSV.
0: Yeah,
1: Jimmy, let me Go let ahead. me say Go something, ahead. Jimmy. Uh you know, the, the best clubs have a connection with the players, not like people think it's just the manager. But when you have a sport director as well that you know cares about you and when new players come into the club, of course, they try to identify with the history of what the club is. But often what that means is the manager and the sport director. And I've been lucky when I was at, when I was at Salzburg, Christoph Freund created that kind of culture that he was such a big fan and such a big supporter of all the players that he brought in that they all felt such a strong connection to him and me. And when I was at Leeds, it was like this with Victor Orta. He's a very emotional guy. He really recruits these players hard. And so when they come in, it's not just their attachment to me. It was also their attachment to him. And so – when you can create that, when you can create a sense of, of support and love, not just from one person, but from multiple people and multiple the the two biggest sporting leaders in the club, then you give players a real chance to feel like this is their home. And that, I think, has been clear for all, all the three Americans that are now playing for PSV.
0: Yeah, it's nice to feel wanted and uh, on multiple levels, as you're saying. Now, I think that Ricardo Pepe is the obvious choice here. But I did want to give a shout out, an honorable mention for the wanty to Anthony Robinson. I just feel like he has really grown into that position playing for Marco Silva at Fulham and also for Greg Burhalter. I just think his consistency has been fantastic and picking his spots of when to attack and when to drop back and defend. His ability at defending is getting better, which we know is more just an energy to want to do it. Making a choice. I want to be a better defender and putting yourself in good spots to make plays. And I've been really impressed with his growth as well. And I think we're speaking a little bit about the professionalism of Ricardo Pepe. I'd also throw that in for Anthony Robinson. His approach to the game, his maturity in the game is fantastic. And, and he's young, too. It's crazy how all of our, our player pool is starting to get into that, that prime age. Of what, what, 26 to 29, let's say? And then that's, that's going to be a good thing for us heading into the Copa America and, of course, the World Cup in 26. All right, last one, It's the best game the U.S. men's national team played in 2023, and Chuck, I'm coming to you. What was your favorite game or the best game that you think the U.S. played, and why? Take it away.
2: Trace zero, uh, U.S. beating Mexico in the Nations League semifinal. Uh, I was so impressed with the the movement of the attackers, the attacking trio in particular, Gio Reyna uh, being in that number ten role, uh, BJ Callahan. They responded well to him on the sidelines. They they. They went out there. They executed. They played Mexico off the pitch. It was it was a sight to see. So um, that for me was clear clear as day. Their best match, their most inspired and spirited match, um, and, and a lot of of, of po- positives on the day.
0: Okay, Jesse. Before I come to you, I'm gonna be. Part of the the, the I'm gonna be a part of a growth sandwich. I'm gonna or positive sandwich. So so that was very positive from you, Chuck. I'm gonna necessarily go negative. I just think this is a really important game for us. Because I look at our calendar, we played a lot of CONCACAF teams, including Mexico a few times. And and the one game that stood out for me was our 3-1 loss to Germany. And I think that game was important. I don't know if it was our best game, but best game in terms of growth, because we had to see where we were against one of the best national teams in the world, and we weren't up for it. And I think that. It's going to get us more and, and more learnings, let's say, about where we, we need where we need to go and how we're going to get there than any of the games we played in 2023. So from a growth perspective, that was going to be the best game for us, even though it was a loss. And I just wanted to throw that in there. I know it's kind of a Debbie Downer, I know, for a wanty. So, so I'm going to go back to you because ultimately I agree with you guys. Uh, Jesse, what was your best game of the year?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's the Mexico match that Charlie spoke about.
0: They're, they're,
1: to, be, I mean, I, I went back through because there weren't that many memorable matches right there and and it was it's a trend it was a transition time a little bit but clearly for me the mexico match was the best match that we played of the year and the others were all a little jumbled so yeah i think that that was that's pretty simple pretty
0: yeah simple shout thing. out to bj callahan woo, woo, woo. Get, BJ. Getting the yes. way to go shout out to all the assistant coaches out there we believe in you as well let's go all right everybody that is the end of the year awards the wanties are over congratulations to all of our winners and to everybody else that uh, was an honorable mention. Maybe you'll win one next year. You'll have to wait and see. That's it, though, boys. I'm calling it a show. If you had any final thoughts, well, whatever. We're just going to say Happy New Year to everybody. I'm just going to call it right there. This show has been a long one, but it's been a lot of fun. So on behalf of Chuck and Jesse and myself, we want to give a shout-out to all of our producers that are working hard behind the scenes to make us look better than we deserve to be. And thank you to everybody that listens and watches. Call it what you want. We'll be back very, very soon. So thank you for all the love and thank you for listening and watching. Later.